Hello, I'm R.A. Spratt. I write and perform this podcast. If you'd like to support the show, I'm a children's author, so you can buy a book by me, or you can buy me a coffee by going to buymeacoffee.com slash stories R.A. Spratt. It's an easy way to make a small thank you gift to the show so I can keep kicking this can down the road. The podcast directory you're using right now should have a link to my Buy Me A Coffee page in the show notes, or you can type it into your browser. That's buymeacoffee.com slash stories R.A. Spratt. All contributions are gratefully appreciated. Hello and welcome to this special bonus episode of Bedtime Stories with me, R.A. Spratt. Now today I'm going to be reading to you from my brand new book that comes out this week and it is called Hamlet is Not Okay. Okay, so just to explain what this book is about, because I'm going to read to you from chapter two, um, it's it's a book about a girl. It's actually based on me when I was about 15 years old, and um, I had a bit of trouble with reading and um, got into some – I didn't do my homework for a long time at school, got into a lot of trouble for that. And so it's it's about a girl who has that sort of trouble. And uh, she has a tutor. Her parents get her a tutor to try and get her to catch up. And her tutor gets her to sit and read Hamlet, the Shakespeare play. And anyway, I'll, I'll read it to you and you'll see what happens. So I wrote this book because I actually really, really love Shakespeare. And I've got like a 15-year-old and a 12-year-old daughter, um, daughters. And I really like, I try to get them to like Shakespeare too. I take them to Shakespeare plays all the time. And so I thought I wanted to write a book uh, for kids in that age group to sort of show them what Shakespeare and Hamlet is all about, because I know the language is kind of complicated and overwhelming and, you know, going to the theatre, you know, that can be a hassle. Like if you live in a country town like me, that can be really hard to do. So I've written this book to try and make Shakespeare a bit more accessible. And for kids who maybe haven't seen a Shakespeare play, this book is sort of uh, will give you an idea of what it's all about and, and give you a taste for the language. So I'm not going to explain any more. I'm just going to get into it. I'm going to read you a bit from this book. And as I say, um, I'm not going to read from page one. I'll jump into chapter two, and I'm sure you'll pick it up as you go along. Um, all you need to know is the, the lead character is called Selby. Okay, here we go. Chapter two, Crime and Punishment. And so the next day after school, Selby came straight home because home was the bookstore. They lived in the apartment above the shop. She dropped her bag behind the counter and went to work. It was not a very busy bookstore at the best of times, but it was particularly quiet in the afternoon. Mum and Dad were still really angry with her. So Mum disappeared down to the back of the store to do stock taking and Dad took all the deliveries down to the post office to ship. Selby just had to sit at the counter so that passers-by could tell that the shop was open and shoplifters wouldn't come in and steal anything. Not that there was a lot of shoplifting in their town. The Venn diagram of the literate community and the type of people who would steal didn't overlap much. Most of the stealing was done by old ladies, too embarrassed to be seen buying romance novels, and they wouldn't be put off by a 16-year-old sitting at the counter. You'd actually have to insist on looking in their handbag to catch those. Then they'd probably just pretend to have dementia. It sounded harsh, but Mrs Dunk was 87, and she'd been doing it for years. Her son was good about coming in once a month and paying up for her, though. Selby just sat and stared. She tried not to slouch, she knew that was a bad look, so she sat as upright as possible, with a neutral expression on her face, and waited for a customer. It was a long wait. Selby had seen a TV documentary about meditation. She tried doing it now. 
She reasoned if she could just let go of her physical self, this situation might not be so painfully boring. She focused on her breathing and emptying her mind. She started to feel heavy and relaxed. Her head started to dip forward. She was just drifting off when... Do your homework, snapped Mum. Selby's head snapped up. She had a surge of adrenaline. Mum was glaring at her from the cooking section. Selby remembered she was in the bookstore being punished. She shook herself to wake up more. She took out her folder from her bag and flipped to the maths section. It was quadratic equations. She didn't mind them. She'd done all the homework at lunch. She wondered if she could get away with just sitting and staring at this page. No, that wasn't fair. Her mother was right. She should do her homework. Selby flipped to English. The homework essay question stared back up at her. A wave of sadness washed over Selby. She really, really didn't want to write this essay. She closed her eyes, hoping it would go away. She flicked back to maths. She'd rather just stare at that. Just then, the shop bell tinkled. A customer. Selby's eyes flew open. A tall, dark-skinned boy, a couple of years older than her, entered. Ugh, it's you, she said with a groan. It was just Dan, a friend of her brother's. All her brother's friends were annoying. They were all huge geeks, who loved all the huge geek things. In her mind, Dan would always be Sam Gamgee. He dressed up as Sam to Eric's Frodo, so they could go to their fourth-grade book parade as hobbits from Lord of the Rings. Dan was now six foot two and skinny, but he would always be a short, hairy-footed creature to her. Exemplary customer service, little one, said Dan. Whatever, said Selby, picking up a pen and trying to focus on her work. Dan walked over to the counter. Selby ignored him, but he didn't go away. She glanced up. Can I help you? I doubt it, said Dan. I'm pretty sure I know the stock in this bookstore better than you do. Dan came to the bookstore every single day. When he was nine years old, his mother had died. No one knew what to do with him. His dad was an electrician who'd emigrated from Zimbabwe. He was a great dad, but he struggled to know what to say to his huge nerd son. Then Dan's grandfather had a good idea. He set up an account with a store and promised to buy Dan any book he wanted to read until he finished high school. Dan had, as a result, read a lot of books. Enjoy then, said Selby, waving her arm at the store like a game show hostess, waving at a new speedboat. Oh, I'm not here to have fun, said Dan. I'm here to work. Huh, said Selby. Dan smirked. They didn't tell you, did they? Selby got a horrible sinking feeling in her stomach. Tell me what? I'm your new tutor, said Dan. His smirk was positively a grin now. He was enjoying this too much. I hear you've been a very naughty girl. No homework for six months and throwing rocks at platypuses? I didn't throw rocks at platypuses, argued Selby. Dan shook his head sadly. That's what all the juvenile delinquents say. Sadly, I can't cure you of your violent impulses, but I can help with the homework. Ugh, said Selby. Ah, Dan's here, said Mum, bustling down from the back of the store. So good to see you. Are you doing all right? Are you eating enough? You've grown so thin. Nah, just taller, Mrs Michael, said Dan. So tall, agreed Mum. It's just not right. You boys grow up so fast. Here, eat something. There was a candy jar on the counter. Kids were given a piece when they bought a book. It was also handy for when kids threw tantrums in the store if their parents spent too long browsing. Mum grabbed a handful of mini chocolate bars and stuffed them in Dan's jacket pocket. Is your dad feeding you enough, she asked. I can always send over a home-cooked meal. Selby snorted back a laugh. Ha! <laughs> Mum was not a good cook. Mum glared at Selby. I hope you're ready to do work, she said. I thought you were going to get me a proper tutor, said Selby. 
Dan is a proper tutor, said Mrs. Michaels. We were lucky to get him. He's the top tutor in town. I could have ridden my bike over the bridge, said Selby. The next town over was the other side of the river. They had a coaching clinic there, staffed by people who had not gone to the same high school as her. And who knows what mischief you would have got up to, accused Mum, when you stopped to throw rocks along the way. Selby rolled her eyes. She was branded. That was the thing about living in a country town. Once word got out that you'd done something strange, it would stay with you for the rest of your life. She'd be in her 90s and people would still point her out and say she was the one who threw rocks at wildlife. Truth and reality didn't matter. All right, let's go upstairs, said Selby. No, you're staying where I can see you, snapped Mum. You want me to work right here in the shop, asked Selby. I think you can handle the workload, said her mother sarcastically, before stomping off to the back of the store again. Selby wondered how long it would be before Mum forgot to be mad at her. It looked like this was going to last for weeks, or at least until Mum found a good book to read and tuned her out again. Shall we get started, asked Dan. Selby couldn't believe this was actually going to happen. She was going to be tutored by her brother's geeky friend. She felt bad about upsetting her parents and letting them down, but this was the first moment that she felt sorry for herself and genuinely wished she hadn't stopped doing all her homework six months ago. It was one thing to be a woefully ignorant embarrassment to your family, but to do so in full view of a smirking 18-year-old who was going to repeat anything you said to your insufferable older brother, that was a nightmare. "'Why are you even here?' asked Selby. "'Because your parents are paying me by the hour,' said Dan." No, I mean, why are you still here in town? asked Selby. Everyone else went off to uni. I'm sure you must have been smart enough to get into some course in advanced nerd studies or something. I did, said Dan. I'm deferring for a year or two. I promised I'd stay and help Dad. Oh, said Selby. That didn't sound like fun. I'll probably learn more here anyway, said Dan. How do you figure that? asked Selby. Anywhere there are people, there will be endless intrigue to observe, said Dan. Really, said Selby. Sure, said Dan. Jane Austen Belly went anywhere, but she found seven books worth of stories to tell. Look at you. You're a prime example. By all appearances, you're a small town delinquent, but I'm sure even you have hidden depths. Selby just grunted. She may not have read any Jane Austen books, but she had seen plenty of TV adaptations. She knew Jane Austen didn't exactly explore a vast variety of themes. All her books were romance novels about young women. But Selby had learned many years ago that there was no point arguing with her brother or his friends. They could always outtalk her. It didn't seem fair. It didn't make them right just because they sounded right. Besides, said Dan, I can learn anything and travel anywhere without leaving town. That is the magic of books. I can travel around the world, into space, back and forth in time. I can walk in a woman's shoes in 17th century Paris, or sit at the trial of Socrates in ancient Greece, all through the power of reading. Selby rolled her eyes and sighed. She was used to this sort of crazy, idealistic talk from her parents. Whatever, she said. So, shall we start, asked Dan? Sure, said Selby. She might have a complex mass of feelings on the subject, but that didn't mean she intended to share them. Dan came around behind the counter and sat at the stool next to her so he could look over her shoulder. Is that your maths homework, he asked? "Uh Uh-huh, said Selby. You've done it already, said Dan. Selby didn't respond except to roll her eyes again. Why don't we start on something you haven't done yet, suggested Dan. Selby flicked through the pages of her folder. The biology section was at the back. She liked biology. It was her favourite subject. She didn't particularly enjoy it, but she didn't hate it as much as everything else. And Mrs Dennison let her take her shoes off in class, which she appreciated. Dan's hand flew out and blocked her flicking. 
Let's stop here in English, said Dan. Selby's shoulders slumped. I hear you're struggling with that, said Dan. A lump formed in Selby's throat. Oh my gosh, she did not want to cry in front of this boy. Not about something as dumb as her English marks. Dan flicked through to the most recent notes. Is this your new assignment? He pointed to a page that had just one sentence written at the top. It was an essay question. What is Hamlet's beef? Discuss. Beef, said Dan. You know, it's slang for when you've got a problem with someone, said Selby. I know what beef means, said Dan. I just can't believe it's in an essay question. Let me guess, you've got Ms. Karim for English. Selby nodded. She always wants to make things relatable to teens, said Dan. It's ridiculous. The point of literature is it should already be relatable to everyone. Dumbing it down with colloquialisms just discourages young people from developing a full vocabulary. Selby had stopped listening. She was doodling on the margin of the page. So what is your opinion, asked Dan. What is Hamlet's beef, dude? I don't know, said Selby. Well, what was he complaining about in the play, asked Dan. Selby shrugged. I know you can speak your mind, said Dan. I heard you screaming at Eric when he used your favourite t-shirt to mop up a Coke spill. I haven't read the play, Selby snapped out. Dan threw up his hands. Why not? He flipped back through her notes. You've been studying this for three weeks already. Selby looked about for an opportunity of escape. Perhaps a mother was spontaneously combusted in the back of the store. Where's your copy of the play, asked Dan. I don't know, said Selby. How can you not know, asked Dan. He was actually getting angry, like he was a real teacher or something. I lent my copy to Bree, said Selby. She left hers in a pocket and it went through the washing machine. So you had no intention of reading it, asked Dan. I haven't read any of the school set texts for two years, said Selby. I didn't think the teachers would notice. They never have before. Dan took a deep breath. I've never had to tutor someone with quite your attitude before, he said. I didn't want to tutor, said Selby. You prefer failure, asked Dan. I prefer not having a tutor, said Selby. Well, this is a bookstore, said Dan. Go and fetch a copy. We'll read it together. Selby actually groaned. I can understand not liking a subject like PE, because that can be physically painful, said Dan. But this is just reading. It doesn't hurt. For me, it does, grumbled Selby. She slid off her stool and wound her way to the darkest, least frequented section of the store, where they kept the classics. She found a copy of Hamlet. There was a lot of stock because the kids at the high school always studied it in year 11. Selby laid the brand new copy down on the counter. Dana opened it and flicked past the introduction. Here we go, act one, scene one. He slid the book across so it was in front of Selby. Read, he instructed. Selby laid her hand on the book to hold the page open. It was so new the pristine spine was trying to force the pages shut. She bent her head over the text and tried to read. The letters swam in front of her eyes. She had to do this. She concentrated and the words started to emerge. Act one, scene one. Out loud, said Dan. Huh? Selby looked up. Read it out loud, said Dan. You're kidding, said Selby. No, it's a play, said Dan. It's meant to be heard aloud, not read in your head. Selby blushed. I'm not reading aloud. Not here in the store. Why not, asked Dan. It's a bookstore, an empty bookstore. It's the perfect place to read a good book. I read slow, mumbled Selby. Slowly, corrected Dan. You need the L-Y on the end. And it doesn't matter if you read slowly. I'm being paid by the hour. It's better for me if you take longer. He grinned. Selby's heart sank. She wasn't really too slow at reading. But it took her longer than other people because her brain danced about as she read. It was like every line was a word scramble. 
Her brain noticed every possible word permutation before going back and working out the most likely phrase. But then sometimes her brain went off on tangents, thinking about the other letter combinations, especially if they were more interesting. Before she knew it, half an hour had gone by and she'd only read one page and had no idea what was happening in the plot. So she could read, it just took a lot of focus. Selby looked at the words. She needed to concentrate. She was determined not to embarrass herself in front of her brother's nerd friend. Sometimes it helped if she ran a finger under the words as she read. She knew it looked babyish, but she'd rather do that than stuff up now. Selby pointed to the first word, focused in on the shape of each letter, and started to read aloud. Who's there? They answer me. Stand and unfold yourself. She stopped. Well, what does that mean, asked Selby. Nay, that's what horses say. And unfold yourself? Sounds like he's talking to a stack of iron in. Don't overthink it, said Dan. Just let the words wash over you. It's always confusing when you first start hearing Shakespeare, but then your brain adjusts and you start to understand it all from the context. Take more than a brain adjustment, muttered Selby. Just read, said Dan. Selby took a deep breath and started to read the dialogue again. Long live the king! Bernardo? He! You come most carefully upon your hour. Tis now struck twelve. Get thee to bed, Francisco. For this relief, much thanks. Tis bitter cold, and I am sick at heart. Tinkle, tinkle, tinkle. Selby's head snapped up. It was the shop's bell. A customer had entered. Cookbooks? The customer asked. Down the back, said Selby. Mum's organising stock there. She'll be able to help you. Selby glanced at Dan. He was staring at her. It made her self-conscious. What? she asked. You have a beautiful voice, said Dan. You read very well. Selby looked into his eyes. She didn't often make eye contact with anyone, but she couldn't believe he was serious. His big brown eyes were like wells into his soul. He wasn't lying. Suddenly she wished he was. She looked away. No, I don't, said Selby. He had to be making fun of her. That's ridiculous. You do, said Dan. It's melodic. Almost magical. Keep reading. Selby focused in again. Have you had quiet guard? Not a mouse stirring. Well, good night. If you do meet Horatio and Marcellus, the rivals of my watch, bid them make haste. Selby was beginning to enjoy saying the words. The serus of the letters felt like tails on her tongue. Every curl was a swoop and a wave into the energy of the story. She could practically smell the ink. She could almost hear the scratch of the quill as she imagined Shakespeare scrawling each word on the page. She felt warm, but in a good way. So comfortable, so right. The blood was rushing in her ears, but she could still hear her own voice. Stand ho, who is there? Friends to this ground? And liegemen to the Dane? Give you good night. Gradually, Selby felt herself being drawn down, like the pull of gravity, through the page, into the book, then into the ether. There was a tremendous rushing of wind and words. She wasn't in the bookstore anymore. She was travelling, but not through space or even time. She could still hear her own voice punctuated by the mumble and applause of a crowd. Break we our watch up, and by my advice, let us impart what we have seen tonight unto young Hamlet. For upon my life, this spirit, dumb to us, will speak to him. And then, whack! Selby was lying flat on her back on a stone floor. It was freezing black night. She was staring straight up at the sky. There were no stars, but she could make out clouds whipping across with the wind, giving the occasional glimpse of the moon. Where am I? she whispered. A hand grasped hers. Selby flinched. When she turned, it was Dan. He was collapsed on the ground a short distance from her. Selby, he said. There was panic in his eyes. Where are we? 
Okay, that was the end of chapter two, but let's keep reading because it's getting a bit exciting. Chapter three, Another World. Selby looked about. She could barely see anything in the dark, but everything was wrong. It was cold. It was damp. It was nighttime. I don't know, said Selby. They appeared to be on top of a stone fortification, like an old castle. Over the sound of the wind, she could make out waves crashing in the distance. I can hear the sea. It's freezing, said Dan. He was only wearing a t-shirt and denim jacket. That was nothing to this biting cold. The wind was making her eyes water. There was so little light. How could she be sitting on top of a stone wall? There were no stone buildings in town. And what little she could see looked like battlements. There was a long, narrow walkway and a wall lined with turrets, like something out of a Robin Hood movie. A wall built for archers or cannons to fire between the stonework. Selby was starting to feel very frightened. This was wrong, very wrong. We've got to get back, said Selby. But what happened, asked Dan. How did we get here? How do we get back? Selby sat up and started to feel about with her hands. She was trying to find a door or a passageway, perhaps something that they'd somehow fallen through. She was already frightened and panicked, but as she crouched on the ground, a growing sense of horrible dread washed over her. It had nothing to do with the strange situation she found herself in. It was a visceral response to something wrong. She'd never been so afraid. Selby tried to calm herself. There was nothing to fear. It was just darkness and cold. And yet, Selby felt a looming sense of doom, like nothing she'd ever known before. Cold, horrible feelings washed over her. Adrenaline started to surge in her veins. Selby wanted to run. But where to in this strange place and complete darkness? She was already cold, but now she was so viscerally terrified, she felt like she had pins and needles. She finally understood what the expression to have your hair stand on end felt like. What's happening? she asked Dan. I don't know, said Dan, his voice quavering. He couldn't hide his fear. You feel it too? Then Selby saw it. Look, she said in a terrified whisper. There was something coming towards them, from behind Dan, something glowing, a light. But normally light is comforting in the dark when you're afraid. This pale, shimmering shape was ominous. What is it? asked Dan. The shape was coming towards them, growing larger. It looks like a man, said Selby, squinting into the roiling black night, trying to see in spite of the wind in her eyes. The sense of dread grew stronger as the light approached. We should get out of here, said Dan. He pulled Selby back with him, but they didn't manage to scramble far in the darkness before they found themselves backed into a corner in the battlements. Selby was so frightened now she could barely move. They could see the shape more clearly. It was a man, an older man, wearing military armour, and he was lumbering towards them at a steady, resigned pace. He must have been able to see them, but he did not seem interested. He looked straight through them. As he drew closer, they could see it was not really a man. They could see right through him. He was only shimmering light in the form of a man. Selby knew what she was looking at. It's a ghost, she whispered. Dan wrapped his arm around Selby and pulled her in close to the corner with him, so they were crouched down tight up against the wall. They held their breaths and waited to see how the ghost would respond to them. But it never looked down, even though it passed by less than a metre away. As the ghost moved further away, the feeling of dread eased. Selby gulped in a huge, calming breath. She shakily pushed off Dan's arm and got to her feet, watching the ghost disappear in the dark distance. I know where we are, said Dan. He was still crouched in the corner. He appeared to be in shock. Selby could barely hear him over the wind. What? Look out, said Dan. 
There was the sound of running footsteps, but Selby had no time to turn before something big slammed into her. She was knocked off her feet and crashed into the ground. Her first thought was she'd been attacked by a wild animal, but she soon realised it was a man. The man was much bigger than her, which wasn't saying much. Selby was hardly tall. She'd been winded by the fall. Now she couldn't move under his weight. He was panting heavily. He pushed himself up, and in the dim light, she got a glimpse of his face. He was young, perhaps only a couple of years older than Dan, and he was good-looking, although all Selby really noticed was his eyes. He had piercing blue eyes. Selby found herself staring into them as he stared back. This young man looked haunted and grief-stricken. "'Are you okay?' asked Selby. "'What are you?' the man choked out in a hoarse voice. He sounded frightened too. Some sort of temporal being sent by the devil to haunt my waking hours? Or an angel sent to guide me in my troubles? I'm Selby, said Selby. She would have liked to have gotten up. It was embarrassing to be having a conversation when you were pressed against the ground. I'm no one special. Nay, I'll not believe that, said the young man. Murder! A horrible, sonorous voice bellowed out from behind them. The sound echoed off the stonework and whipped about them on the wind. The young man sprang to his feet and took off in the direction of the cry. Selby scrambled up. She watched him run over to the ghost. He slowed as he drew near and knelt in front of it. Selby started to follow. Dan grabbed her arm. "'Where are you going?' he asked. "'He might need help,' said Selby. Dan went with her as she drew closer. The ghost spoke again in a slow, ponderous voice. If thou didst ever thy dear father love, oh God, whimpered the young man, revenge his foul and most unnatural murder, ordered the ghost. Murder, said the young man. He seemed astonished and frightened. Murder most foul, said the ghost. What's going on, asked Selby. Shh, said Dan, listen. Sleeping within my orchard, explained the ghost. My custom always of the afternoon, upon my secure hour, thy uncle stole, with juice of cursed heaven on in a vial, and in the porches of my ear did pour that leprous distilment. Selby could not believe what she was overhearing. Did he just say he died because someone poured poison in his ear? asked Selby. Would that even work? I've watched a lot of CSI and crime shows. That does not sound plausible. Shh, said Dan, pointing at the ghost, encouraging her to keep listening to the conversation. Mine uncle? asked the young man. Aye, that treacherous beast, accused the ghost. Oh, Hamlet, what a falling off was there. Hamlet? exclaimed Selby. Luckily, the wind was so loud, and Hamlet was far enough away he didn't overhear, or did overhear, and was too consumed by the presence of his father's ghost. Selby turned to Dan in shock. That's Hamlet? The Hamlet? The Prince of Denmark? We must be inside the play, whispered Dan. And we'll leave it there. Well, I hope you enjoyed that. If you want to read the rest for yourself, you can buy a copy of Hamlet is Not Okay from any bookstore or your favourite online bookseller. Or you can also listen to the audiobook because I have been into the studio and recorded a full audiobook with a proper sound technician and everything. That reading just then was just me here in my home office. But yeah, there is a proper audiobook of this book as well. So um, please check them out. That would be awesome. All right. That's the end of this special bonus episode. Until next time. Goodbye.